Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Institute Insider Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maria, and on this channel, we cover all things beauty school. We represent the Institute of Beauty and Wellness in Milwaukee, as well as the Aveda Institute Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. On this episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking to truly one of my favorite people in this entire world. Her name is Rima Shaw, and she is the instructor of the Ayurveda Aesthetics Program here at the Institute of Beauty and Wellness. The knowledge and the alignment and center of gravity that this woman brings into her is not only admirable, but something that I have wanted to get into ever since I started working at the Institute's. This is not her first teaching gig. She's been in the Ayurvedic field for decades now. Truly, she is one of the smartest people that I know when it comes to ancient wisdom. And I'm really, really excited for you guys to have a meditation at the end of this podcast. You know, I was having a stressful day and I asked Rima if she could give us kind of a heart chakra realignment meditation and she did not disappoint. So keep on listening because this is going to be a very relaxing podcast. Good morning, Rima. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing good. It's good to see you. Likewise. What are you doing to kind of keep yourself busy? You know, I think routine is really important. I think that we're all at home and we're all really affected by what's going on. And so I just try to keep consistency on things that I know are going to keep me balanced. Totally agree. That's super, super important. So of course, as you know, you're here on the Institute Insider podcast, and we're going to be talking today kind of about your journey. You're going to be walking us through Ayurveda, knowing a bit about Ayurveda. I'm super excited for our listeners to kind of get a better understanding But I'd like to start at the beginning and kind of talk about the institutes first. So when did you start working at the institutes and when did you get interested in working with students specifically? Sure. Yeah. Um, I started about five years ago at the Institute of Beauty and Wellness, and I'm currently teaching my seventh program. There's been about nine Ayurveda aesthetics programs at IBW and five at Aveda Institute Madison. But my journey of teaching Ayurveda started long before coming to the Institute. I worked and I was part of the core faculty of Kanya Kumari Ayurveda and Yoga School, which was here in Milwaukee. And that's really where I got my start in teaching students about Ayurveda. And then I worked for the Bhavna Institute of Yoga and Ayurveda in LaGrange, Illinois. And I was also part of panels and specialty groups because my specialty is women's health. So I've been in a lot of teaching gigs before coming to the Institute, which I just feel so grateful because I feel like I've really been in a lot of aspects of the Ayurveda world. So you kind of touched on a part of your journey, but I kind of want to know when did it all start? When did Ayurveda really come to you, you know, as a practice in your lifestyle? Sure. So I always say that my first Ayurvedic teachers were my Indian grandparents. I'm an immigrant. We came to this country, and it's still just my little family here. All the rest of my family lives either in Africa or in India. And so Ayurveda, because it's based on the cosmos, is really a medicine for humanity. But it originated in present-day India. So Indians use Ayurveda like home remedies. And my grandparents' generation 
truly embraced Ayurveda. And so I spent many summers in those countries at the foot of my grandmother's and saw them picking berries from the trees and creating medicinal food. And they always meditated. They always talked about balancing the mind and spirituality. So I'm so blessed. I feel like I got such a great start in it at a very, very young age. That's amazing, number one. And two, to back it up, what is Ayurveda more as a philosophy, as a lifestyle? You know, you talked about the medicinal qualities, the mind, body, and spirit balancing, but what is the main pieces of this philosophy? Yeah, so, you know, the classic tagline for Ayurveda, which people hear a lot, is it's called the science of life. And it's a 6,000-year-old medicine Um, But it's said to actually be as old as the cosmos itself. So when, you know, the universe was created, whether that was the Big Bang Theory or any philosophical or religious views on how the world was created, because we think about how the world was created as a very deep inquiry in our mind. We all we all kind of think about that. And so Ayurveda is said to have merged with with the creation of the cosmos. And so one of the key words in Sanskrit is called swasta, and that means to know thyself. So Ayurveda is a philosophy that we really can see ourselves through qualities, and once we get to know that, we'll really understand who we truly are. But to make it simplistic, I feel like it is practical tools for living that come from ancient wisdom. You know, in modern day society, we finally kind of find a way to bring these essence into our life. And every single year that goes by, every generation that goes by, I think we kind of realize just how far we've navigated away from looking within ourselves, just kind of how our society works. So that's super, super important. I was interested to find out that the Aveda brand was actually, Aveda is from Ayurveda. You know, were you aware of Aveda brand? before working at the Institute? What connections do you see between Aveda and Ayurveda? Great question. Um, well, first and foremost, because I've been around for a while, I'm, I'm creeping up in age. The Aveda shampoos came on the market such a long time ago. And the concept that Horst brought, which was using botanical wisdom in products was really huge. And I think a lot of us in I don't know if it was the 80s or when, we got really attracted to it. I personally remember the story of Horst because the story is really so intertwined with Ayurveda. He really believed in the philosophy. Some of the first formulations were from Ayurvedic doctors in India, and his story stuck even back then. So I'm really proud to have known that legacy and and now working at the Institute, knowing it more and more. It's a beautiful start. Do you have like a favorite product or collection? I love that this company has changed with the times, as every company needs to do. And one of the things that they really brought up was coming back to some of the basics again. And their Tulasara line is really in tune with Ayurvedic skincare philosophy. It's really using oils, botanical oils, to help lubricate and penetrate the skin. They have an amazing facial brush that comes with it. And I just think that whole line is fabulous. 
you know, as an Ayurvedic practitioner can really see the connections because sometimes people just think it's talk, you know, but it really is just that thought out and that embedded into Ayurveda philosophy. So that's really cool. You have gone through seven different Ayurveda classes. I absolutely love coming down to your classes. It's one of my favorite things to do. The thing that's unique about your program is that it's technically Ayurveda aesthetics. So I want to know what do students learn in Ayurveda aesthetic program and how is osteology combined with Ayurvedic principles for this really unique learning experience? Great question. So um, I just want to make note that I think our program still to this day is the only program like it in the entire country. So Ayurveda has been working really hard to get professional licensure in this country, and it's a long process, but it will happen because there is Ayurveda in every state, in every city in the country. There's practitioners, so there will be licensure someday. But because there isn't, Susan Heisey, the president of the school Neroli um, Salon and Spas, really understood that Ayurveda needed to be paired with something that was already licensed. And so the birth of the Ayurveda aesthetics program came to be. And I think it's a beautiful synergy because Ayurveda is about so much how we cultivate inner beauty. And then pairing it with the aesthetics program, they learn how to maintain that outer beauty. And they kind of become these beautiful skincare experts in their own right and very holistically based, but also keeping up with all the trends in the industry. So that's like the program in a nutshell. Do you want me to elaborate what they actually learn or do you think that's good for now? Um, yeah, maybe. Well, I'm assuming that, you know, they would learn anything that osteology would. Do they learn waxing and yeah. facials or kind of... Could you break down more of the osteology aspect of it that they learn? Yeah, sure. So, and Kate Magana is the osteology teacher, um, but they do, they learn waxing. They spend a lot of time with facials. Um, they go through really everything that the normal osteology program does, but definitely there's a little bit more focus, I think, on facials and skincare in general. The beautiful thing is with that osteology, whether they're interested in lash extensions or they like the, to go into more medi spa, they can take any avenue they want. So that's the beautiful thing. That's really cool. It really allows them to have, you know, a licensure that will give them the range that they want, but also you're still learning such beautiful ancient qualities. So when students are working on guests in the spa clinic lab, what steps do you look for in the service for it to be considered kind of a successful Ayurvedic spa experience? Yeah, so all Ayurveda services really use a lot of oil. Oil is a big part for maintaining longevity in our bodies. So the oil therapies, what we're really looking for is that they maintain consistency, that they maintain the temperature. But really overall, the basis is Ayurveda services are so good for clients to be able to leave their busy lifestyle. And for one or two hours, it's almost like receiving a meditation through a treatment. So the overall goal is to make sure that students are very aware that they are working on a subtle level. We're going to relax the central nervous system. 
And I always say it's sort of like a sacred experience, you know, open the ritual, really allow them to have the space to calm their mind, their body, their spirit, and then close the ritual up and let them go on their way. So it's really about allowing them to come and be able to let everything go. That makes a successful Ayurveda service. So in Ayurveda, well, they say that the body falls into kind of three different biological energy groups called the doshas. Anyone who really doesn't know what the doshas are, how would you explain them? And how do doshas connect to a person? For example, you know, food preferences, personality, physical makeup. Great. Perfect question, right? Because we can't talk about Ayurveda and not talk about how do we apply it to all of us? I want to come back to, to the cosmos, right? To the beginning of creation. So when the earth was created, the elements were created right away, or not even just the earth, the universe. So we had ether, space. We have all this space around us. And then we have air, air that we breathe. We have fire. We see it outside. We know we can create it. We have fire within us. We'll talk about that. Water. We're on a planet that has so much water. And then, of course, we have earth. We have the ground. We have mountains. So it was understood when the cosmos was created that there was five elements. And the doshas, the three doshas, all they are are makeup of the elements. And that's why when we connect to the world around us, we're going to find a synergistic harmony because we are created with those same elements within us. You know the saying that the universe has got your back? It's really true in Ayurveda. The universe is not working against us. It's working with us. And so that concept means that we hold the same qualities that's outside in the universe. So Bata people, they are made up of air and ether, the two of the lightest elements. And because of that, they're very light people in general. So they tend to be thin boned. They can have thin features, maybe small eyes, thin hair. They're very active. I like to call them like the energizer bunnies because air and ether is very mobile. It moves. So Vata people are very, like we call them very movement people. They're thin and they like to move. And then we have pittas and pittas are made up of mostly fire and a little bit of water. These are the fiery people. They tend to be medium build. They tend to actually get gray early or bald early because they burn out their hair color or their hair follicles. They tend to be highly sharp intellectually because fire really cuts through things. So a pitta person can be really like energetic. They can have intense eyes, all those aspects that we think of when we think of fire. And then we have the third dosha, which is kapha dosha, and that's made up of earth and water. And those are the heaviest of the elements. So kapha people tend to be large, stocky, sturdy people. They tend to be really stable and grounding because those are the qualities that earth and water bring to us. So in Ayurveda, opposite cures like. So if a vata person is feeling too airy, too spacey, a little airheaded, their mind is moving so much that they can't even sleep, then we need to use opposite qualities to help balance them. So we'll tell them to ground, to have more warm, moist, oily foods, to slow down, to create routine. And then for Pitta people, 
They can be fiery. They can get hangry, hungry, angry. They can also just get angry. And they can feel a lot of heated things happen in their body, like skin rashes or hyperacidity. So we want to use opposite qualities, which is cooling and calming and also stabilizing because fire is a little bit volatile. So we want to use those qualities to pacify pitta. And then kapha people, sometimes they can feel very stagnant and heavy. They can feel lethargic. They can struggle with weight gain. So opposite qualities for them would be dry and lighter things. And once we understand that, I see students have this all the time. They have aha moments because they learn, oh, this anxiety of mine, that's a vata symptom. And I really need to incorporate nurturing and grounding practices. So it's a really beautiful way of knowing who we truly are in an elemental way versus looking at us through symptoms or characteristics. Well, and I think relating ourselves to these structures and these elements that we see in nature and we see as almost flawless to a point to put these human qualities on us when we really do come from the same composition, I think it really does kind of clear up what we think about whatever issues we may have, whatever imbalances we may have. If we look at it in a way that is elemental based and use what we can to counteract that, we will find balance. And it's not always, um, the human mind is kind of its own battle. And so it's definitely hard to connect those dots. For anyone that's kind of dealing with any mental health, how does that relate to the doshas? And you know, what in Ayurveda should people use? Great question. So there's kind of a saying that, you know, first of all, that our mind affects our body. And sometimes we forget this. Like if we feel anxious, we could feel butterflies in our stomach. Our heart could start to palpate more. If we feel angry, we can actually feel heat rise in our body. And if we feel sad or depressed, we actually feel like the weight of the world is on us so much so that we can't even, we can't even sit straight. So the saying goes is that how we treat our body affects our mind and, and our mind is going to be a result of how we treat our body. So first and foremost, we need to establish what I talked about in, in the first question you asked me, routine. And I want to talk about why. We live in a universe of routine. The sun always rises. The sun always sets. The moon is always in the sky, whether there's clouds and we can see it or not, we know the moon is there. The moon goes through the same cycle. It goes from full moon and it shrinks into a half moon, into a new moon, which looks dark. And then it goes back up to half moon, back up to a full moon. So everything around us is cycles. We follow circadian rhythm. We follow the hours of light and the hours of dark. And we've been trained intuitively that when it's light outside, we're active, we work hard, we're productive, we're energetic. And we've been trained intuitively that when the moon is out, that we slow down, that we get ready to go to sleep, that we can't work anymore. So the first and foremost thing for mental balance for all three doshas is to understand that when we establish routine, we are really listening to the world around us. And a lot of people, it's the number one thing I feel I've across the board with all doshas. If you don't establish the fact that if we have regular eating times, then our body knows that, oh, Rima's going to eat at 1130 and my body's prepared for that. 
if we go to sleep relatively at the same time, my body's already signaling myself to do that. So that's one of the keys to mental balance across the board. And then specifically per dosha, there's lots of healing remedies specific to what every dosha is feeling. And I think the body therapies speak really loudly to that. They are very, very, very healing for the mind. And that's why getting an Abhyanga, which is a full oil treatment with a Shiradhara, which is oil continuously poured over your third eye and your hair, is one of the best treatments for reminding ourselves that we don't need to be in that pattern of imbalance that makes us struggle so hard. I mean, it would be silly to not talk about meditation during this time, because I think that is another helpful thing that people use. I think something that's really cool about your class is that the Ayurveda aesthetic students, they usually start their day with uh, meditation. Why is meditation and pranayama or breath so important in Ayurveda? Where does this drive for meditation come from? So the Yoga Sutras are these ancient texts that anyone that loves yoga has probably heard about. It's sort of kind of yoga's Bible. And the Yoga Sutras are a compilation of verses. You can kind of consider them to be sort of these poetic lines. And the second Yoga Sutra, the first Yoga Sutra literally means you're here, you're ready. You're ready to take in this knowledge to help yourself. The second Yoga Sutra the Sanskrit saying goes like this. It says, yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodaha. And the translation is, calming the cessations of the mind or calming the fluctuations of the mind. So yoga is the sister science to Ayurveda. That's why yoga and Ayurveda are really intertwined. But in all Vedic sciences, one of some of the first things that they talked about was we need to balance the fluctuations of our mind. So we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day as human beings. And even the best of us, it's a relentless thing. It doesn't end. So meditation is not for us to stop thinking. It's for us to find the space between those thoughts and to slow down. And so it's very key. We can't talk about balancing our health or our body without first and foremost the mind. And so it's a cumulative practice. The reason why I do it with my students every day is this is kind of a thing that we can say that we can talk the talk, but we really need to walk the walk. And Maria, it's amazing to see the transformation. I usually have two or three students when we start the program and they tell me, I just can't sit down or I have anxiety when I close my eyes or I really have a hard time meditating. And I say, I, I hear you and I understand and I'm going to um, give you tools to make sure that you feel safe, but we're going to do it and I promise it's going to get easier. And by the end of the program, all of them are able to sit in silence. And that's a huge thing. I mean, we all want to tell ourselves, yeah, oh yeah, I know meditation's great. I'm going to sit in silence. But it's really much harder to get into the routine of that. So it's really key, and it's key to just bring it into your practice so it becomes a rhythm within your daily life. And the cool thing is the graduates tell me too. They say when they get imbalanced, they realize that they let that slip a little bit and they come back to it. There's a lot of progress happening in the Ayurveda world, especially in Western cultures. 
I think it started with yoga and that was just kind of a doorway to Ayurveda. But where do you kind of see Ayurveda going in the future? You know, what is something we can learn from Eastern medicine and spiritual practice that we might be missing in Western culture? Such a good question. And you said it perfectly. You know, yoga really had to be the doorway into the West. And a lot of Ayurvedic scholars, when they've been asked this question, very famous people, they said that the Western world wasn't ready for Ayurveda. It wasn't going to make sense for Ayurveda to be the first thing to come into the Western concept. So yoga had to come first. And people had to understand that through movement and breath, it's sort of like a moving prayer. So they start to learn moving prayers, you know, asanas, and they start to move their body and they start to understand the triangle, the mind-body-spirit connection. And that's even been miraculous, Maria, to see. I mean, yoga first came into America in 1910. And then in the 1970s, it made its first kind of influx. And then by the 1990s, it spread tremendously. And today, there's probably a yoga studio in every corner. So yoga's really done what it needed to do. And it's very natural that Ayurveda was going to follow in its footsteps. So I see Ayurveda spreading the way yoga has spread, and I've already seen it. When I went to Ayurveda school 17 years ago, there was eight Ayurveda schools in the entire country. And now fast forward to 2020, and there's Ayurveda schools in all 50 states and multiple schools in states. So we are in a global time when not a single country in the world is free from stress. So we're living in a pandemic, but truly the pandemic of stress was already among us. The other thing that ties us globally is that three-fourths of the world's population doesn't sleep well. We have sleep issues. 75% of the world does not sleep well. So we need Ayurveda. We need to actually remember that the pillars of health are so important to us. And we need to reestablish that as a community, as a country, as a global citizenship. And I think people are lost. I think people are really wanting to find solutions. And the reason that Ayurveda is not going to go anywhere is that it's built on universal truths. They're not falsehoods, they're truths, because the cosmos doesn't lie. It exists the way it exists. So when we study the system as it is, it's embedded in truth. So I see it spreading just as much as yoga. If someone was interested in bringing Ayurveda practice into their life, where do you think would be a good place to start? Well, first and foremost, we do consultations at the institutes. And I think that's a great way for the public, for students, for, you know, we have all these people connected in our great world of school and Aveda. I think consultations are amazing because you're able to sit with the students one-on-one and be asked questions about your diet, your mind, your sleep, what are foods that you eat, how do you react to stress, any challenges or symptoms that you have. So I think it's a beautiful way to not touch one subject, but touch many subjects. And once they go through that process, I think they start to realize how interconnected everything is. So that's my first suggestion. My second suggestion is what I keep bringing up. It's going to be the key to our podcast, routine. 
So one Sanskrit word is called dinacharya, and that means daily routine. So I want to give a few concepts for that. Number one, we want to wake up close to when the sun rises in the sky. It's really so vital. And actually, if we sleep late, which I'm hearing a lot of people during this pandemic, that people are really not keeping to their sleeping patterns. If we sleep late, like past 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 a.m., that's called kapha time of day. And it actually builds up like heavy energy in our body. So we can wake up feeling more lethargic and more tired and really out of whack and very unmotivated. And then if we sleep at 1, 2, 3 a.m., which I'm hearing a lot of people tell me they are because they're kind of binging on news and Netflix, that really throws off our sleep. So really establishing patterns around waking up and sleeping. And then the last thing is that the sun is strongest midday. So if there's one thing we all can do, make your largest meal the middle of the day, because that's when we can digest our food the best. And there's no better time to practice that now that people are more at home. Think of the concept that the sun is strong between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And think of your digestion being the strongest then. And just practice. Give yourself time to practice what it feels like to eat a really large meal in the middle of the day. And those are three great concepts right there. And I just want to say one last thing. The yogis, you know, we're always talking about the yogis and the sages. They didn't do a lot of crazy elaborate things. They just did a few simple things. And one of the things that they did is they slept before 10 p.m. And they all lived to be 108 years old. So that is key. It's key that we don't stay awake till 1130, 1230, 1am. So those are my few suggestions to get started. I think those are really, really good suggestions, especially since we are at home. So if you had any advice to students thinking about applying to the Aveda Aesthetic Program, you know, what advice would that look like? What, what qualities do you hope that, you know, students will have? I'm so glad you're asking that because I feel like if we can let students know what these programs are like, it just makes them realize if it's a good fit or not. It's a, it's a rigorous program. It's really studying the science of life. We have three huge textbooks that like stack up this high, and that's just the Ayurveda aspect. And then we have all the osteology aspects. So it is a really rigorous program. I mean, I tell my students that some of these things that we're going through is like college-level hardcore stuff. And it also requires a personal transformation. You can't help but study a science that's making you look at yourself and analyze yourself and not know that you'll also be going through that. So if you're ready to embark on a personal transformation, this program is for you. If you want to delve deep into studying the body and the mind and the spirit, and then also knowing a lot about skincare, you know, really getting into facials and getting into what the industry is doing, then this program is great for you. And, and also, if you're interested in spices, food, cooking, if you're interested in the mind, and also lifestyle. What does Ayurveda say about lifestyle? Then this is a great program for you. Good way to round it out. I want to finish this podcast with maybe a, you know, just a two, three minute kind of hard reset meditation. There's nothing that would really kind of round this podcast out, relaxing and then moving on with their day and with a new mindset. Would you be open to doing that for us? Oh, that'd be great. 
So Maria, before I have you close your eyes and whoever else is listening, I want to show you one of the mudras that I really love for this time. And it's called fearless heart mudra. So when I direct you to do that, you're going to know what it feels like. So you're going to put your hands together, palm to palm, and then you're going to cross your wrists. So it's back palm to back palm. And then you're going to cross your pinky fingers. You're going to leave your ring fingers out. You're not going to do anything with them. And you're going to cross your middle finger and your index finger. And this is it. This is fearless heart mudra. And sometimes it's hard, Maria, but the more we do it, the easier it is. So this is a great mudra for when you're feeling like this is all so overwhelming. Okay, so I'm going to direct it at some point when we're doing this meditation. So let's just... Make sure that our legs are uncrossed. Make sure that our feet are planted firmly on the ground. Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and close your eyes. And you can always just close them three-fourths of the way if that makes you feel better. Just go ahead and relax your face. Making sure that there's no tension in your forehead. Soften your cheeks. Soften your jaw, and a good way to do this is you can always place the tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth, and that allows us to leave a little space for us to feel relaxed. And go ahead and inhale through your nose, and exhale out a nice sigh. And go ahead and do that one more time. Inhale slowly through your nose. And exhale out a sigh. So I want you to focus on the space between your eyebrows. It's your third eye center. And if you feel so moved, you can go ahead and invoke fearless heart mudra, bringing your hands palm to palm, crossing your wrists so it's back palm to back palm, crossing your pinkies, letting your ring fingers stay free, crossing your middle fingers and your index fingers and bringing it close to your heart. And just breathe slowly. Holding the inhalation for just a moment right at the top of your breath. and letting that go. Let's bring our attention to our heart center. And let's take a deep breath and let's feel like that breath is just invigorating our heart. So we're breathing right into our heart chakra, our heart space center. Feel your chest expand and let it all go. So with your eyes closed, I just want you to picture that Ayurveda talked about lotus flowers and yoga. Both sciences talked about lotus flowers and they talked about lotus flowers are representations, they're symbols that are on all seven of our chakras. And so let's picture a lotus flower right in our heart center. 
And within that lotus flower is a green, beautiful, vibrant, nurturing light. Imagine that glowing right in the middle. When we feel scared or anxious or hurt or heartbroken, we actually don't allow those lotus petals to open up. So right now, as we're breathing, we're going to energetically and visually imagine that we feel so centered and so grounded that each lotus petal is going to start to unfurl. And it's going to reveal this green, beautiful, nurturing light in the middle. And when we can allow those lotus petals to feel safe and loved and nurtured, then that light of the heart can shine light on the mind. And the mind is influenced by the heart instead of the mind being influenced by the mind, which yogis call the monkey mind. We can create stories that we think are true and they're not true at all. So when we allow the heart light to shine light on the mind, we can really find that space where our thoughts, our words, our actions, our dreams are aligned in a place where we can feel more happy, less stress, more bliss. So let's just envision that just for a moment in silence that this green, beautiful, nurturing energy representative of love and nurturing in our heart. Let's just imagine that shining light on the mind and we'll sit in silence here for just a few moments. So take a nice deep inhalation, holding the inhalation just at the top of the breath and slowly let it all go. And slowly uncross your fingers from your mudra, wiggle your fingers, bring your hands palm to palm back to your heart center, lower your chin ever so slightly and give yourself an affirmation. We all should feel so proud of ourselves during this time. So start your day with a positive affirmation that you can rely on. And I have faith and know that if you can concentrate on feeling happy during this time, you're gonna come out of this a lot better than when you went in. So let's go ahead and rub our hands together, creating some warmth and friction. And let's place these hands over our eyes so it can invigorate our eyes. It can allow us to feel fresh and ready to continue with the day. Slowly move your hands away from your eyes. 
and come back into this time and space. I definitely needed that this week Good. and that was so great. And thank you so much for doing that for our guests. And, you know, we hope that this is kind of that first step for people to really, if you haven't already taken interest of this in your life, like you said, start with the simple practices of creating a routine, being more aware of the composition of your body and finding foods and qualities combat, but counteract that and balance you. So I think this is in a fantastic place to kind of close down our podcast. Rima, thank you so much. You know, I am like the hugest fan of everything Aww. that you do. And just in the past year, just not even being in the Ayurveda class, but just being a marketing coordinator and just being within the presence of Ayurveda has helped me so much. So if anyone is interested in kind of experiencing something like that, feel free to visit our website, IBW or Aveda Madison. We have the program at both. You know, it's really something that you will not see at any other school. As we said, it is the only one in the country. So guys, I want you to follow Rima on Instagram at RimaShaw72, that's S-H-A-H, 72. Until then, Rima, I hope you have like a great rest of your day. Thank you. Beautiful day outside, so... I hope you kind of, you know, move with grace and you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Maria. No problem. This was so much fun. You did great. <laughs>